I want to continue the series that we started a few weeks ago on Sundays entitled Mountains Move. Would you say that with me? Mountains Shout it out. Mountains Sooner or later in your life, you're going to encounter a mountain that you need to have moved. And Jesus said, not only can you conquer those mountains, you can say, mountain, move out of my way, and it's got to obey you. There are all kinds of mountains in life that we face, and we've talked about several of them. Today, I want to talk about one that I think is probably, all things considered, it is probably the most common among us. You may face a mountain in your health and no one else in your family faced that similar mountain. It might be that you'll never face a financial mountain because you might be very blessed in that, that way. I don't know. But I can tell you this, nearly everybody I know sooner or later gets visited by the mountain I'm going to talk about today. I read in the book of Exodus chapter number 3 verse 1 through 6 and then verse 10 through 14. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The back of the desert literally was the edge of a desert that is known as the Rub Akali. It's called the empty quarter. It is located and is shared in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, uh, is shared with Qatar, uh, United Arab Emirates, and um, I think one other nation. It is a vast wasteland, and that's where Moses was. And he led the flock and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. I marvel at our ability to read things like that and like, oh yeah, I see that. Really? A bush burning with a guy standing in the middle of it and neither the bush nor the guy are being affected by the flames. Really? It's like we read that, yeah, that happened to me last week. I kind of doubt it. But we read of these extraordinary events in the Bible, and I want to emphasize this one because it was extraordinary. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why this bush does not burn. And I can almost hear him. If it was today's generation, man, I sure hate I left my iPhone back at camp. I'd love to take a selfie of this, that bush burning right here and the guy standing in the fire. He hadn't figured out yet it's an angel because angels didn't always have halos and wings. Peter said that some have entertained angels unaware. And that sometimes angels just show up and they look like ordinary men. And we're about to find out something regarding this angel. Moses said, I'm going to turn aside and see this. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. Whoa, wasn't even just an angel. It was a theophany that I'll explain about in a moment. And it was God. And God suddenly shifted the whole atmosphere. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He went from, you know, I'll take a selfie of this and send it back to the folk at home. They'll never believe it. To all of a sudden, he is cowering in awe of God. Come now, God said, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is what I want you to notice. Moses' response to what God said. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He didn't say, wow, this is awesome. I've waited my whole life for this. Instead, he begins to argue with the one who created him and say, I'm not qualified. I can't do this. The very God who put him together, who is the reason he is alive and in the world, he starts telling that God, I'm not up for this. You need to find somebody else. You got the wrong person. So God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? Because they're going to ask and they're not going to believe me. And Moses, or God said to Moses, This is what you tell them. You tell them the I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I love that because God flipped what Moses said. Moses said, who am I? God said, I am. Flipped it. And then in the book of Matthew chapter 17, our verse for this series, verse 20, the B clause, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, I want you to say that, this mountain. Come on, say it, this. One more time, this. There is a mountain. Move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Father, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would help us to be able to move the mountains in our lives that keep us from being all we could be, fulfilling our purpose and destiny in life, the reasons for which you created us, and just being the children of God that we were intended and meant to become. Help us to see those mountains moved. And for somebody here in this room right now, there is a very real mountain in their way. I'm asking you to help them move it. And everything we ask, we ask for your glory that you would be exalted and let me hide for the next few minutes behind the cross while you receive the adulation, the praise of your people because of the power that is resident within your word for which we are grateful. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. One more time, amen. I want to speak this morning from the subject... Mountain of personal inadequacy. Move. Personal inadequacy. Do you have any idea how many people there are who never fully enjoy life because they're struggling with feelings of inadequacy? A deep sense 
of not quite measuring up. Do you have any idea how many believers deal with this? Bible's full of them. Moses dealt with this, as we shall see. And he was one of the greatest people in all the Old Testament. In fact, let me rephrase that. One of the greatest to have ever lived. And he isn't the only one you read about in the Bible who dealt with this problem. There was Barak who defeated the mighty General Sisera. There was Gideon. Remember Gideon? (laughs) Me? I'm the least of my father's house, which is the least and the least family and the least tribe of this little bitty nation of Israel. It was King Saul who dealt with this. Even King David, you read his Psalms, and there were times when he felt utterly hopeless and inadequate. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a shelter to me. There was Jeremiah, there was Esther, a number of others, all who in spite of being extremely gifted, struggled with deep feelings of inadequacy. You see, who you are and how gifted you are has no bearing on whether or not you deal with this problem. People think that because they feel inadequate, they must be inadequate. And yet, you can be intelligent, you can be beautiful, you can have incredible skills, you can have awesome abilities, great talent, and still feel this way. But then something happened to Moses. He had an experience with God at a place called Mount Horeb, where he came face to face with the Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai, Jehovah, Yahweh. And it changed everything. At Horeb Mountain found out, or Moses found out rather who God, at Horeb Mountain, Moses found out who God intended for him to become. And once you discover that, once you find out who you were meant to be, it literally changes everything in your life. Everything changes the moment God speaks to you who you were meant to be. In this case, with Moses, it happened while he was watching his father-in-law's sheep. And as I said, he encountered a bush that was on fire. Now remember, Moses was schooled in all of the sciences of Egypt. But here is a bush that is burning outside the framework of the natural laws of physics. Because normally when something is on fire, it is consumed. This bush is not being consumed. It is burning. It is raging. It is raging like an, an oil well fire that Red A. Dare or Boots and Coots couldn't put out. I mean, it is burning. And standing in the middle of the fire is a man, and he's not burning either. And this angel is literally a theophany. A theophany, let me explain what that means. In the New Testament, God had a body. To it, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He had a body. I shall call his name Emmanuel. It's being translated as God with us. That's what they said about Jesus before he was born. And... In the Old Testament, when God didn't have a body, when there was no physical representation of God, God at times would choose to appear to mankind for special emphatic purposes or reasons to deliver a message. And he would choose various forms. And it might be an angel or it could have been Melchizedek, for example. That was a theophonic presence of God, a theophany. In the Old Testament, when God didn't have a body, in this case, 
Moses is seeing God, but doesn't know it because like I said, no halo, no wings. They didn't always walk around dressed that way. And so Moses is like freaking out about the sight that he has seen. And this angel is not being burned and the bush is not being consumed. And he hasn't done, it hasn't dawned on him yet that what he's actually doing, he is actually having an encounter with El Shaddai, Yahweh, the mighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. And Moses, as he approaches the bush, a voice speaks and we suddenly learn now that this angelic being is actually God for God says, Take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy. And Moses goes from a curious tourist to a person who is overwhelmed with the awe of God and hides his face. He's in the presence of God now. I want to tell you something. Everybody that God ever created needs a burning bush experience. Everybody needs to have an encounter with God. Everybody needs to have a divine interruption where God shows up. I'm not saying it all has to be like the burning bush, like Moses encountered and doesn't have to be like, like somebody else that you know, or like me happened to me. But in some way, everybody needs for God to show up in their life one time and let them know I created you and you're special and you have a reason and you're here for a purpose. And I am here to call out of you that reason. Everybody needs that. I believe it was meant to happen that way. Whether that's driving to work as you're listening to a worship song on Monday morning or mowing your lawn or sitting at your desk or at your computer, everybody needs an encounter with God. Where this astonishing event occurred is very significant. Horeb means desolate, dried up. It was the edge of an of a, a desert that was completely incapable of sustaining life. The very word Horeb speaks of that extraordinary desolation and barrenness, barrenness. And it described both the mountain and it described the land around the mountain. The Mount Sinai of the Bible, just as a footnote, is almost certainly not what we call Mount Sinai today. The one that's in the Sinai Peninsula. That's almost certainly not Mount Sinai. Instead, the real Mount Sinai is in the Arabian Desert. They have proved that over and over again. But the one we call Mount Sinai today, that was actually named that because the mother of Constantinople, the emperor of Rome, had a, you, you know, she went to a fortune teller and he said, well, that's where the mountain is. Some say she had a dream, either one. That's how the present day location got its name. And so I can almost guarantee you that's not the real place. The real one is right at the edge of the Ruba Kali and the, the empty quarter. And they get like one-tenth of inch of rain a year in some of these places. That's how dry it is over there. It's by any measure incapable of sustaining life. Nothing can live there. I tell you how, how dry it is. They don't even bother to put the borders there between the countries. And it's shared by four different nations because it's like, oh, you can have it. No, you can have it. Oh, well, I don't really care. Well, I don't care either. And so they don't even bother to establish a border. It's that desolate. What makes this story so captivating is this dry, inhospitable desert is the perfect visual for the man that is standing there. The only thing that grows there are thorn trees. 
thorn bushes, not even trees, actually. That's what the word Sinai means. It means thorn. Nothing productive can grow there. And so here you have these few prickly scattered thorn bushes and you have Moses. You say, how is that a visual for Moses? In case you hadn't figured out, Moses was a pretty prickly individual. He had a pretty thorny personality. Oh, I know after God you know, met him in the desert and he had an encounter with God, he became the meekest man on the earth. But if you believe that's who Moses was all those years, you hadn't read your Bible very well. Ask the Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian and buried him in the desert. And so God meets this man, Moses, in this inhospitable place. And what the story teaches us is this. That a person's sense of inadequacy can be a formidable mountain to overcome. Even when you have an encounter with God. You can feel inadequate and even when God shows up sometimes... That doesn't stop the questions about who you are and your own personal shortcomings. So let's put this all together and I'll explain this. This bush is burning. But like I said, not even boots and coots could put this fire out. It's drawing from a source that is inexhaustible. And remember, it's in the desert. It's in one of the worst deserts in the world. And nothing is supposed to be able to exist there And yet in the absence of all resources, it is still burning like crazy because the I am, the I am was the source in the middle of the desert. I'm talking to somebody walking through the middle of the desert right now. And some of your friends are wondering, how is it you keep on going on? It's not because of your environment. It's because of the one who is on the inside of you. You're drawing from a source. That is inexhaustible. Amen. And so the bush is burning and not being consumed. And Moses is absolutely flabbergasted by this because this defies the known natural laws of physics. And so Moses has this encounter with God and God is showing Moses that right here in the middle of the desert, you can have an encounter with me. And I feel like I'm preaching to somebody that right in the middle of your situation, God can show up and change everything in your life. Give God some praise in the house right now. Amen. Moses said, who are you? And he said, the I am, the I am. Moses said, they're going to ask me who sent me. And you just tell them God said, the I am, the I am sent you. Do you realize it's spoken about anybody else? That would be an incomplete sentence. The I am, the I am what? You see, God refused to limit himself. He refused to label himself because once you accept a label, you have accepted limitations because when something is red, it can't be green. And when it's yellow, it can't be blue. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And God said, nobody's going to paint me into a corner. I am inexhaustible in any situation, any circumstance, any place, any environment. I need somebody to say this mountain of inadequacy move. Say it. You know, our problem, we keep letting circumstances label us. 
We keep letting people label us. And when we accept the label, we are accepting a limitation. I need you to turn to somebody and say, I'm going to surprise you someday. Would you do that? Tell somebody, husband, look at that wife and say, honey, I know you don't think I got much left in the tank, but I'm going to surprise you one day. I got stuff coming out of me that God is calling and God is stirring up that you can't even see. I'm going to surprise you someday. Is Moses somebody you can relate to? Amen. Because listen. He hadn't planned for things to go they had go, the way they had gone 40 years earlier. Now, he certainly wasn't following a strategic plan, now was he? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver the children of Israel. I'm going to put this together and this, and we're going to do this at such and time. No, he acted impulsively. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israeli, and he killed him on the spot. This story teaches us one of the most important lessons of life. And out of all of the things I've taught you during the years, I hope you'll remember this one. And I hope you'll pass it on to your kids. This is one of the most important strategies about life you can never, you can ever learn. And that is this. Never allow yourself to become so emotional that you become dysfunctional. I need somebody to say amen. Never allow yourself to become so emotional you become dysfunctional. Moses became so emotional, he became dysfunctional. And it cost him 40 years of his life on the backside of a desert. Hello. Amen. You know what? When you act out of emotion, you will always, sooner or later, come to regret it. You will. Sooner or later, you'll say, why did I do it that way? I find that when I act out of emotion, God doesn't even try to stop me. He just stands there with his arms folded, lets me go do what I want to do. And then when I've done it, he said, are you through now? Did you make your point? Did you mess up? Pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Let's fix this mess and let's get on with life because I've got plans for you. You see, the problem is not even that Moses messed up. The problem is, is that when he did, he gave up. I won't talk to somebody. I want to talk to somebody you've messed up and now you've given up. And the reason that messing up was not such a big problem is we're pretty good at that as human beings. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't do it every once in a while. And some of us like me, maybe even more than once in a while. The problem is not that you messed up. The problem is you can't give up. Can I hear somebody in the building shout hallelujah just because you messed up? Don't throw away your Destiny, don't forfeit your future. It wasn't the effect that Moses' failure had on God that was the problem. We think we mess up, we affect God. Our failures don't even affect God. He goes right on being God whether we mess up or not. Hello, somebody. Moses' problem was that his failure affected Moses. It affected the way he looked at himself. And your failure and mine affects the way we look at ourselves too. It doesn't change one thing about God. That's one of the beautiful things about this story. 
You see, after his failure, Moses felt inadequate. But God did not throw away his plans for Moses' life just because Moses messed up. And the word that I've got for somebody in the house today is just because you messed up, God is not through using you yet either. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your future. He shows up in the middle of the desert. One of the most inhospitable places on the planet. He says, Moses, I've got a job for you. Moses, Moses is thinking about what he's already done. You know, his past, even though it's 40 years ago, he killed an Egyptian, hit an Egyptian in the sand. I'm going to get real with us right now. How many Egyptians do you have hidden in the sand? Can, can we hit rewind on that? I want to ask again, how many Egyptians do you have hidden in the sand? There's not a single one of us here that don't have our Egyptians buried somewhere. Five years ago, ten years ago, three weeks ago, hello somebody, we've got a few Egyptians whose toes are sticking up out in the desert. You think that that meant God's done with you. It doesn't mean that God's through with you. God still has plans for your life. I'm talking to somebody in the house that God knows who you are he hasn't thrown away his designs for your life you see the reason Moses felt inadequate was because he was still focused on his past when God was trying to get him to direct his attention to his future bigger amen belonged right there You can't move into your future while you're still focused on your past. How do I know that Moses felt inadequate? Look at chapter 3, verse 11. Moses asked, who am I that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 13, he processed, they won't listen to me. They're going to ask who sent me. They're not going to believe me. Who shall I say sent me? Chapter 4, verse 1, he worries they will still not believe him. Chapter 4, verse 10, he protests, I'm not a good enough speaker. You need to get somebody else to go. And finally, he just blurts it out in verse 13. He openly asked God, God, would you please get somebody else? And God refuses to find somebody else to give Moses destiny to. I'm talking to somebody that you've tried to give away your future, your promise. I want you to know God has not given up. He's not given away your ministry. He's not given away your destiny. I'm talking to, oh Lord have mercy. Can I preach the way that I feel like preaching in this house right now? You don't know me, Pastor. I messed up. I blew a marriage apart. Uh, a marriage apart. I, I I don't know what I can do with my life. It doesn't. It's not up to you. It's up to God. He still has plans for your life. You see, even if you've given up, it doesn't mean that God has. That's enough to shout about right there. Even if you gave up, God didn't give up. Somebody in the house that can relate to that ought to be giving God some praise in this place right now. Because God uses imperfect people. So I'm about to finish. 
So why did God meet Moses at Horeb of all places? He could have revealed himself to Moses anywhere. He could have done it in Egypt, in Cairo. He could have done it, you know, any place. Sinai Peninsula, he could have done it at the Ritz. Why did he choose Horeb? I won't give you four quick reasons why God chose this place of desolation. Number one, he wanted to emphasize to Moses, it's not about you, it's about me. It's not about you and your inadequacies. It is about me and my sufficiency. Did you hear what I just said? It's not about you and your shortcomings. It's about him and his abilities that are unlimited. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that supplies. He never runs out. That's why there's a bush burning that is not consumed. It's a living visual of what God can do when he sets thorn bushes on fire. Irritable personalities like yours, Moses. I can put you to burning where nothing can put the flame out. And the second reason God chose Horeb is to teach us that even when you're in the middle of a place of desolation, you should not ever give up hope. Here you are on the backside of a desert on the edge of the Rabakali. The empty quarter, you don't think there's anything that can be done here. I can show up in the middle of the worst environment. I can take care of you. I can set you on fire. I can make a bush burn and burn and burn and burn and burn and burn. I can use you to reveal my glory. You see, I want you to get this. A barren place is where God can get glory. I don't think you got it. Maybe I need to unpack it a little more. A barren place, God can get the glory there. But if it's a veritable paradise, you might not give him the glory he deserves. You might even take some of it for yourself. But when you know there is no way, there is no way, there is no way that this should be happening and God does it anyway, then you know it's God and it wasn't me and it was about him and it was not about me in the first place. Hello. And you can give him some glory. Is there anybody in this place? God brought you from where you never should have come from. He brought you out of things you never should have been through and survived. Give him some praise in this house. Hallelujah. I feel like I'm prophesying to somebody right now. You're in the middle of a barren place, but God is saying, it's okay. I show up even in barren places. Look out. I'm about to turn a corner. I'm about to appear in your life. I'm sorry. I just feel too fired up. (laughs) If y'all are not used to a preacher raising his voice like this, y'all just pray for me. I'm trying to tone it down, but I can't. I feel something moving in this house right now. God is about to break through in somebody's life. God's about to do something for someone. In the middle of your desert. God loves barren places. Loves barren places. Do you know that God brought three and a half million Jews to that same barren place and sustained them for 40 years? 
40 years, that same place. And it's like, okay, we've been here one year. Y'all got it figured out yet? Then two years. Have you understood what's really going on? I don't run out. Year number three, come and go. Have you guys seen the writing on the wall yet? Year number four, have you understood who I am yet? 40 years later, they're still eating manna from the ground. They're being given water from a rock. Oh, Lord. God can make a way where there is no way. He is the God of infinite resources, the God of infinite ability. Who am I preaching to right now that's about to have a breakthrough in the middle of their resources and and you're out in the middle of a barren place and you don't see how it can happen, but there's a God on the throne that's going to break through on your behalf. Third reason God chose Horeb is just to show I can use inadequate people. I can use inadequate people. I can set them on fire for my glory like I did this bush and the whole world will come see them burn. Hallelujah. And number four, God chose Horeb to show that even if there are no resources, I'll just make some new ones. If you'll stand on my word, I'll create a way where there is no way. I'll make a way through the middle of the Red Sea. I'll take care of you when there's no way that you should have been taken care of and sustained. This is a word for somebody today because you're facing your mountain of inadequacy. Many of us go through this. As I said, even the psalmist David, times he felt completely in over his head. Who here hasn't felt flawed, incapable? These are intuitions that can be very deep and profound and cut us to the very soul. And you know what the problem is? We just haven't understood the grace of God yet. Because yeah, you got some Egyptians hidden. Some of the sweetest people in this church. Oh, I feel God in this house right now. Amen. Some of the dear saints, you could walk into their bedroom at three o'clock in the morning. and They'd be sound asleep going, I love you, Jesus. But you look a little bit further over their shoulder. They got an Egyptian or two. There's nobody in this place that doesn't. But you know what happened when you came to Christ? Did you hear what I said? When you came to Christ, the slate got wiped clean. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm talking to somebody. The Egyptians are buried, not under the sand, but under the blood of Jesus Christ. I got to stop. I got to stop. To fulfill his purpose, Moses had to face his inadequacy. And so do you and I. God saw something in Moses that he didn't even see in himself. He had it and didn't even know it. (laughs) I love that. 
Look at somebody and say, I got it and don't even know it. Amen. I don't even know it, but I got it. I got it going on. I got anointing. I got the power of God. I've got the name of Jesus. I've got the blood. I've got it. I hadn't even figured it out yet, but I got it. (laughs) Moses hadn't had it and didn't even know it. And you got it too. And just like God said about to call it out of Moses, God has said about to call it out of you. And this story teaches us something profound. And that is we should not see ourselves based on how the world or life or circumstances see us. We should see ourselves the way God sees us. In these closing moments, it is vital that we align all of our beliefs with the word of God. All of them, all of them, all of them, all of them. Usually we think that means we have to align our beliefs doctrinally with the word of God. Yes, do that too. That's important. That's why the series on Wednesday night, precious words. But beyond that, that's not all we need to believe that's in the word of God. You need to believe what God said about you too. See, I didn't know he said anything about me. Yeah, yeah, he did. First John 3 and 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You're God's son right now. Egyptian or no Egyptian, you're a child of God. Hello, somebody. You have your father's DNA. You have the blood of Jesus applied to your life. You have Christ living on the inside. You are more than an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ. Five quick life application points. Like Moses, you need to realize that you too have a mission in life. It's amazing how many believers do not. Just think that they just kind of float in on the tide and out and back in. You have a distinctive reason for having been created. You're here for a purpose. And the enemy wants to talk you out of whatever that purpose is. Number two, I want you to do this. Life application point, five of them very quickly. This is the second. Determine you're not going to allow your past to stop you. If you're allowing your past to stop you, stop it. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, stop it. Come on, raise your voice a little bit. Don't make them mad. I mean, but just say, stop it. In fact, tell your husband or your wife, y'all used to talking to each other like that. So that was a joke. Say, stop it. Stop letting your past talk you out of who you're supposed to be. Everybody's got Egyptians hidden in the sand I need somebody to just lift their hands and say I'm not running from the Egyptians anymore would you do that 40 years later Moses was still running from that Egyptian and number three whatever you have been through it been through rather whatever you have been through decide today that you have been through it did you get that Whatever you have been through, decide right now, I am through it. I'm not still in it, I'm through it. Don't send my mail to the wilderness, I'm not living there anymore. 
I'm coming out of it by the grace of Almighty God. Hallelujah. I am through it. I survived it. Would somebody just shout and say, I'm still here. I'm still standing. And number four, be like your heavenly father. You know who I mean? The I am, the I am who wouldn't allow anybody to define where he started and stopped. Become like your heavenly father and stop allowing others to define and limit you. You know what that might have to cost you? You might have to give up some friends. I feel like going old school right now. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back, no. Amen. You need to tell some things in your life, get going. I don't need you. You're talking me down from my calling. You're talking me down from my anointing. You're talking me down from my destiny. You're talking me down from my purpose. I need somebody to talk me up, not talk me down. I need somebody to help me stand up and become who I'm supposed to be for God. And number five, grow your devotional life until you have an encounter with God. Would you stand with me right now? 